For 100 years, the Green Bay Packers have been a benchmark for football excellence. Thousands of players have helped pave the way, and we're here to tell their stories. I'm Wayne Larrabee. This is the Packers Alumni Spotlight. was the Packers' second first-round pick in the 1978 draft behind Hall of Famer James Lofton. For the Waukesha, Wisconsin native, getting drafted by the Packers was literally a dream come true. Oh, sure. I mean, I, I, I vividly remember uh, Ray Scott on TV with those years in the 60s. I was about 10, 12 years old, right? So was I. Yeah, grew up right at that point. And halftime, you'd run out and play a little flag football or tackle football or whatever it was on the side of the house that, you know, the, the pine cone tree was the, uh, the end zone and the bushes were the out of bounds. And, and then 20 minutes later, you're inside watching the second half. And, you know, you were always somebody. I was Jimmy Taylor, or I was Ray Nitschke, or I was Carol Dale, you know. So, and then to go through and to end up getting that call in 1970. Eight, I guess it was, uh, from Bart, it's like, wow, that, that's pretty special. What were you thinking when you're, you're I mean, because this is the guy you as a kid oh, yeah. probably followed. He was one of your heroes. Right, right. Well, the way it worked is uh, I, I lived in Waukesha, or I was there after college, and there were no TVs. There was no ESPN, you know, putting this on, on camera, or you didn't know who was getting selected necessarily before you were. Um, and so you're kind of just sitting around, I was at my mom's house that day waiting for a phone call and you know there's projections they were had a few people you know in papers and and uh, uh, magazines saying this is where we think this guy will get drafted but nobody really knew for sure so I got a call and I think it was uh, uh, might have been uh, from one of his secretaries and said uh, would you stay on the line for Bart Starr it's like well what do you think I'm gonna hang up <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I said, sure, and, and a couple minutes later, he com came on and just uh, congratulated me. They had just picked me, uh, 26th pick, I think, in the first round, and um, uh, said, you know, we'd look forward to seeing you in the future. And I hung up, and my mom said, who is that? And so I, I explained, and of course, you're, you're sky high at that point. You know, it's like the, tr literally the dream come true. So James Lofton was picked early in the first round. You were picked late in the first round of that draft. Did you have any connection with James in particular because you guys were two first round draft choices or? Well, we obviously didn't know anything about one another. Uh, uh, people asked me about the people I played with up in Green Bay for those 12 years and I, I think he was probably the most talented player of anybody on the roster for those 12 years. He was just that good. I mean, we had, we had conditioning tests when we went up there right away. I mean, it was extensive. You had to do stuff in the weight room, you're out on the track, you're out on, you're doing all kinds of stuff. And, and they made it a competition, which I kind of went into and said, so you know, let's, let's show them what you can do here. Well, one of them was these uh, quarter mile sprints and you had, uh, you had a time you had to meet, I think, and it was based on your position. And then you had, I think, two minutes in between each one, you had to run four of them. Well, you know, he was a track star in college. Yeah. And so we're all preparing for this because they told you what was going to come. 
And so I'm out there and I'm, you know, running these things as fast as I can. Everybody is. And you look over and Lofton's just cruising. He's running, <laughs> he's running 50 second or better maybe, I don't remember the exact times, quarter miles, four of them in succession. You go, wow, how's the guy do that, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we, we played together for many, many years. Um, uh, obviously on different sides of the ball, so we didn't inter interact a lot. Um, but uh, like I said, I think he was probably the most talented guy I, I saw in a Packer uniform while I was there. Well, you played on some teams that, that had great offense, especially by right. the time you got to the early 80s. You guys, Lynn Dickey at quarterback, Lofton, Jefferson, Eddie Lee Ivory, and they had all these stars on offense. And on defense, you guys were plugging along, and you were uh, one of the better linebackers in the, the uh, NFL at that time. And you had some good players on defense, but it never quite came together for you, did no, it? No, we struggled. Uh, you know, the, the reality is we... we Especially in the early '80s, again, like you mentioned, uh, it was just it was a it was a struggle. I mean, I think probably that Monday night game against Washington is maybe s symbolic of that. 48-47, we win, but it wasn't because the whole lot of the defensive stuff. Uh, you know, we had injuries and we had other things going on that just um, you know it just detracted from our what we could do on the field. And as a result, um, I look back with. You know, do you have any regrets? I wish we had one more. We were, I think my first six or seven years, we were eight and eight four times, you know, which is, you know, two games away from probably getting in the playoffs all those times, but we couldn't get over that hump for whatever reason. And so that was a, that was a disappointment, a frustration um, that I still look back and go, yeah, we just get, found a way to get a couple more wins in those early years. Things might've been different. Anderson played all 12 years of his career with the Packers from 1978 to 1989, but he experienced just three winning seasons and one playoff appearance, that coming in the strike-shortened campaign of 1982. You play the uh, St. Louis Cardinals in Lambeau Field in a playoff game. It's the first playoff game in Lambeau Field since the Ice Bowl. Right. Tell us about that day because that was such a wonderful day in that otherwise yeah. dark era. Yeah, it was, a, it was a shortened season and so people might still put a little asterisk up by that, the fact that these playoffs, were they really the playoffs or because the season was shortened, there should they be looked at in some other fashion or not. To me, you're in the playoffs, right? Whether it's, you know, you played six games or 14 or 16 or whatever. So anyways, yeah, that was an exciting time. I mean, the field, uh, the stadium was electric as it always is on playoff games. Um, they came in pretty highly touted. Uh, Otis Anderson was their big running back and just a, just a beast of a guy. And, um, you know, so it was kind of a little back and forth, but we were able to win that. And then we went down to Dallas and uh, got beat by a pretty good Dallas team down there. I think it was close. I think it was 30-something, 30 30-something. 30 but um, yeah, that was that was it. And believe it or not, you, you think, well, we we were we're coming. We're, we're and you, you know, as a as a young player, you think you're going to be in the playoffs year after year after year. And obviously, we found out that's not the case. Well, you were close in '83, um, and you went to Chicago the last week of the season, and um, a win, and you're in the playoffs. Right. A loss, and you're out. And Bob Thomas on a cold, kind of windy day, from what people tell me hits his field goal in the end, uh, and you guys get beat, and Bart gets fired on the plane basically going back to Green Bay, or at least the decision was made at that time. Yeah. Tell me about that day and how disappointing was that? Well, you know, I mean, um, 
when, when you're mathematically eliminated, there's always a little bit of a, uh, a clutch to like, well, that's the finality of it, you know, and, and, and when that hits, uh, but also, you know, to, to win and go on and to not be able to do that, again, um, frustrating, just disappointing. Um, you know, I've been married to my lovely wife, Susan, for a long time, and she was with me through all those whole times. And I think she played part psychologist on many a Sunday night because I'd come home and I'd just, I'd be torn up, you know. I mean, um, people, I don't know that they know how much it, 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 it hurts and how much it uh, kind of resides within you, those kind of games. And you don't just blow them off, you know, in an hour or a day. It takes a while, and especially when it's a repetitive thing. I mean, those are just hard times. I think you remember those more than you do the, the, the wins because they just, they, they take an, an emotional toll. Uh, but on the other hand, that's the beauty of professional football. You know, at the end of the Sunday afternoon, when you're walking off and you look up there, that's your scoreboard and that's your scorecard. And there's no gray area. There's no, well, let me call you back tomorrow and see if we can't rearrange. That's it, you know, and you're either ecstatic or you are in the dumps and there's no in between. And that's a hard road to have, but uh, I think that's what like I said, that's kind of professional football, and I wouldn't change it because that's why you work so hard, you play so hard, you practice so hard, and, and um, that's why you see those guys holding the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the year and the tears and everything else. It's because, you know what, this is really tough to get. What was it like playing for Bart? What did you observe? Well, I observed a couple things. I observed a guy, I think he has this aura, obviously, that still lasts today but that aura that you see out on the field was the same person that we saw in the meetings he wasn't he wasn't a uh, changed person in the locker room from in front of the camera right what you saw was who Bart Starr was I think his philosophy was such that he didn't feel like he had to do a lot of yelling and screaming to get you to perform that's not the way he did it he was self-motivated, and he expected that out of his players, right? And sometimes players weren't up to that standard, and that's maybe why we weren't quite as good as we would all like, like to have been. But it was always interesting to me that he, would, he had a standard that he knew about, and um, that's what he expected you to perform at. Um, there was one incidence um, that I'll just mention. You know, this was maybe, I don't know, early to mid-80s when, you know, there was discussions, you know, is, is, is his job in jeopardy and so forth. And it, it, that noise got pretty loud. And so one day he, he opened the doors and he, he walked in and behind him were two security people with a a tray, a rolling tray full of Super Bowl championship trophies, his whatever he won, or they rings or watches for winning the MVP, and a pile of money that represented the winnings that he had experienced as a player. And we're all the players are hooting and hollering. We didn't quite understand what's going on here. And he had these guys, these security guys, roll this thing up in the front of the room. And he said, gentlemen, 
he said, let me just tell you something. I've been there and I kind of know what I'm doing. And don't ever mistake meekness for weakness. And that was it. The guys rolled the thing out and that was who he was. He wasn't the, the, the braggadocious, I'm going to yell and scream to get things done. I've done it. I know how to do it. And that's kind of just what I expect you to do, to play up to this level. And I always appreciated that about Bart. John Anderson left the game in 1989 as the Packers' all-time leading tackler. Inducted into the Packers Hall of Fame in 1996, he and Ray Nitschke continue to share the Packers' career interception record by a linebacker with 25. After football, John had a brief career as a television sportscaster and a long career as an educator and coach at Brookfield Academy in Brookfield, Wisconsin.